Number Psalm 2, we'll be reading the whole psalm. This is our Old Testament reading. Psalm 2, beginning with verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is kindled quickly. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Now we turn to the New Testament, to John chapter 1, a familiar passage perhaps. You're reading John 1, 1 through 18. Our sermon text is just one verse in there. But we'll be reading John 1, 1 through 18. Again, hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is on the Father's side. He has made him known. Since the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let us pray. O Lord our God, may the meditations of our hearts the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. For we look to you for every good thing, and now bless us with your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Next week, I am going to begin a series in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we'll have an introductory sermon next week, and then after that, I will simply start in Matthew 8, where Pastor Charles Williams left off. So, two weeks, we'll just start where he left off and go through Matthew. So, that's the plan. But this is a one-off. This is an unusual sermon. Uh, I have to confess to you, I've done a lot of unusual sermons in my day. Uh, but you could call this a catechetical sermon. It, it really is a creedal sermon. Uh, it struck me that it would be worth your, your time to talk about something in this text. And it, it, it raises some questions in your mind I'd be happy to talk with you privately about. But I, I want you to be assured that this is all well thought through, things I've worked with for many, many years. Uh, and this is uh, something that I would uh, dearly love you to have a deeper knowledge of. And that is something we professed in the Creed, in the Nicene Creed. In the Creed, it said that the Lord Jesus is God's only begotten Son. Only begotten. And particularly for our young people today, they may never have heard the term begotten. It is not a current English word. Or if it is, it's not in my circles. Although, my circles, I guess it is, because we do a lot of theology. and Begotten is pretty common. But it is a term that you need to know. It has a lot of significance, uh, and it is found in this scripture. In the, in the creed, we said, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds. That was in the Nicene Creed, which we just confessed together. And it's, it's my conviction that if we're going to confess this creed, we've got to know what it is. Uh, it's, it's not formal. You don't just recite words without knowing what they mean. So this is why I'm taking your time today by talking about what only begotten Son means. That really is what we're talking about. What does only begotten Son mean when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, begotten comes from the verb in English, beget. Uh, another word we don't use, you know, beget somebody. However, we do have that prefix on other words. Become. Begin. Befall. Begrudge, and my favorite, bedazzle, <laughs> and befuddle. After the sermon, you won't be befuddled, I hope. See, befuddle, cause somebody to be fuddled. Uh, begotten, cause somebody to be gotten. That's where that comes from in English. And it's uh, a very important term in this theological context because to beget is the action of a father in bringing forth a child. Whereas bear, to you know, bear a child, is usually in uh, the original a term that's a different word, and it refers to the action of a mother, to give birth. So beget doesn't mean to give birth to somebody like a mother. It means the action of a father and his role in bringing a child forth. 
So when I, we talk about begotten, it is specifically the action of a father. That's why we're that's why we're using this old term. Is because that's its origin, and we that's what we mean by it. Um, and in this day and age, the only begotten Son of God has fallen into either people not knowing what it means, or there are translations of Scripture, including the one I read, where you don't have the term anymore. I will argue for it to be resuscitated. Uh, and you also have people out there like uh, uh, Bart Ehrman, who's made uh, a lot of things popular, that the church just made up the idea that Jesus is God. Uh, he's a popular writer, uh, writing stuff that's quite interesting. It's not new. It's been around for a long time in New Testament studies. But he makes it popular. So he appears in television and Internet and popular books to say that Christ's deity was invented by the church afterwards. Jesus never knew he was God. This is not new, by the way. We've heard this. That's an old song and dance that's been answered many times. But now it's this modern generation song and dance. And that's the way things are in church history. Every generation gets the same old song and dance with attacking the Christian faith. So we have to address it every generation. Now here I'd like to focus on verse 14 and help you understand how to solve this particular issue of what does it mean that Christ is the only begotten Son. And part of what's behind this also is in light of this congregation's state right now, you're looking for a pastor. Um, and one of the things that the uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church has had from its beginning is the conviction that pastors should be specialists in the Bible. This is this is the uh, J. Gresson Machen, one of the early founders of our church. He he made that really clear. Uh, it's something that's really important to us. Pastors need to be specialists in the Bible. You need somebody you can go to with questions on the Bible, particularly if you have translations that are that don't agree with one another. What do you do with that? Well, you know, you need to have a pastor you can talk to about that who either knows it already because he studied it or knows how to get answers for you uh, because this is his specialty. He's, he, can, he can answer questions on the scripture. That's the fundamental skill that pastors have to have. So as you're searching for a man, you need to, you need to look for that. Somebody who's competent in the scriptures and can help you discern the meaning of uh, the original. And as our confession says, the original, which is authoritative for us, is the Greek and Hebrew Bible. Uh, New Testament is in Greek, the Old Testament is Hebrew, and a little bit in Aramaic, a related language. Uh, so you need, to, you need to have somebody help you untangle these things. So what we're going to conclude today is that the term only begotten son communicates that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God incarnate. And the Son of God is fully divine alongside his Father. And he derives his being from his Father from all eternity. 
And he was begotten from all eternity like a son. It's an analogy of a son. He is divine fully. Not created. He's not a, he's not a, he was not made. He was created. He was begotten, not made. That's how our creed uh, expresses it. Now here's a problem I'm dealing with, uh, with you right now is verse 14. Here's what it reads. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, here's, here's the problem I have. First of all, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. There are four varieties of the English Standard Version. There was the original one, which came out in 2001, and it was revised in 2007, 2011, and 2020. So sometimes I'm reading the ESV and you're looking at your ESV and it's different. I, I've actually had this problem when I'm preparing sermons. I have a version on my computer that's one form and then I look at my Bible it's another form. I one on my iPad that's a different form. Same, they're all ESV and I'm looking at it going, well, what in the world? <laughs> you know, what do you deal with? And here it says, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now, if you're reading the New American Standard, as some of you are, there are four versions of the New American Standard also. There's, it came out in 1971, 1977, they revised it, 1995, and 2020. So there are four different versions of the New American Standard. And the current version reads the same as ESV, glory as of the only Son from the Father. But the original form of the New American Standard reads like the King James to say this, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Because the word son is not in our text. Our editors, you know, the translators are adding that word, son. It's not in the text of John 1.14. So, what do you do with this? First of all, brothers and sisters, I'm not going to I'm not going to draw back from the truth of this. It's just a fact that you should know. All translations are commentaries to a certain extent. That's just a fact. The whole process of translating from one language to another is an interpretive process. So you're making an interpretive judgment. And people have often two courses they could go. Do we say only son from the father or do we say only begotten from the father here? And if you say only begotten from the father, you're using a term that people don't use today and you're going to, you're going to look obsolete. In English, you know, people won't know what that means. So you may choose only son because you're interpreting and trying to help people understand it. So your translations are trying to help you understand the word. But here's the deal. The Greek is the original text, and that's the authoritative text. You need somebody to help you understand the Greek text. This is why you have a preacher who works with the Greek text and can interpret it for you. 
Normally, I do that in a way that you don't hear me talk about it. I don't like to bring it up. But frankly, I usually don't use the translation until I look at the morning I start preaching. I'm usually working in the Greek because I've been working with Greek since 1977. And I've been teaching, I taught it since 1983 until, what, 2021. So, Greek to me is more clear. I understand it better sometimes in English, just because I worked with it for so long. So I want you to know that this is not some sort of you know fly-by-night thing I came up with. I've thought about this process for a long time, and I've taught on it uh, at the uh, seminary level. So, why do we have only sun? Well, first of all, there was a movement, particularly in the 1960s, where people were saying, you know, this word... Only begotten really doesn't mean that. It means one and only, unique. Uh, the whole notion of begottenness is not part of the meaning of the term. Uh, that argument's been made over and over. People have done word studies. But then, you know, you have... So it's a, it's a combination term. So the word that John uses in uh, John 1.14 is a two-part word. It's an adjective, and it has two elements in it. Here's an English analogy, monorail. What's a monorail? It's got one rail, right? So it's some sort of train type of thing moving on one rail versus a bi-rail, two two rails. So a monorail, monorail, two words, one you know, two components to one word, and you understand what the word means by its two components. That's what we're looking at with this Greek word in John 1.14, translated only begotten in some of our versions. And I'm arguing for that version being accurate. Now, the word here uh, translated the only son in the ESV can mean that, Okay. Words have, individual words have more than one meaning all the time. Think of the word ball in English. You know, uh, a ball can be a formal dance. I don't know how many balls you've been a part of. Maybe the high school graduates had a formal ball recently. Uh, but it's a formal dance or it's a roundish thing that you kick or throw or whatever in a sports game. So two different meaning to the term ball. If you want to see that in Greek, verse 5. Go to to John 1.5. John does this several times in his Gospel. He likes this. He'll often use a term that's really got two meanings to it. Now this term at the end of verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And it's this word overcome. The word overcome here is not the usual term John uses that's translated overcome. That's a different word. He uses a word here which has two meanings. One means understand, grasp, and the other is grasp in order to overthrow it. So it has this interesting meaning of overcome and understand. It has two meanings possible. Um, and I think John means both. I only say it because I think he, he enjoys wordplay. 
So think about this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. Didn't know what it was. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overthrow it. John is actually developing both of those in his gospel. You keep reading his gospel, you'll see both of those are things that he's teaching in his gospel. He's sort of hinting to you, this is two threads that now you start untangling. You'll see, I'm going to talk about those in my gospel. Well, that being the case, verse 14, we just need to do basic Bible study technique. There's nothing secret. There's nothing, there's no magic here. I'm not pulling any rabbits out of the pulpit. This is simply the kind of thing you do with any Bible text. The first thing is you look at the structure. The structure here is very interesting and helpful. This is called the prologue of John, verses 1 through 18. And the prologue is arranged in a very interesting pattern. And it's like this. It's a pattern where you have elements that, that correspond to one another. And I liken it to a, a, a five-card poker hand. I've never played poker, of course. Don't get any ideas here, but... But if you had a, you had a five card, card game of some sort, alright, five with five cards, imagine if I were to arrange my hand like this. King, queen, ace, queen, king. Right? That's what this looks like in verses one through eighteen. King, queen, ace in the middle, queen corresponding there, and then the kings on the outside. That's what we have in this structure. The structure here is that the queens are verse 14 and verses 9 through 10. They correspond in this structure. So verses 9 through 10 will illuminate verse 14. There's a repetition of ideas here. So recognizing the structure helps you to see that John's unpacking the same idea in verse 14 in verses 9 through 10, that's, that's just a fairly common biblical structure. And then the middle is verses 11 through 13. This is actually the middle of this prologue and one of the main themes of the Gospel of John. This is like the main theme. So if you want to know what the main theme of the Gospel of John is, you look at the prologue and look right in the middle. Sort of like where that ace is. This is the ace of, of John. So we're going to come back to that. But for, again, we're just doing basic Bible study stuff. Okay. First of all, people who object that this term means one and only or unique son are correct in some places, but not here. It doesn't mean that here. John is using this term here where the elements, the components that make up the word are active. Uh, and it's a word like fingerprint. Finger and print are both active, right? You know what a fingerprint is by thinking fingerprint, okay? Or light bulb. You could have a bulb, but it wouldn't be a light bulb. Light bulb. So the two components help you. Batman. Catwoman. Okay, cat woman, the cat woman, right? It's like, oh, okay, I know what that means. 
You don't even have to know a cat woman is to know, oh, it's a woman who's a cat. Okay, whatever. And then, of course, monorail. Now, the early church fathers understood this. When they composed the Nicene Creed, they're referencing this verse and a few others in John when they say the only begotten Son. They think only begotten is the meaning here. Not the only or unique Son, but the only begotten Son. He's begotten of His Father. He was sired by His Father. He was brought forth like a father brings forth a son. Interestingly, one of the early church fathers has, he builds a number of words he makes up to, in order to explain this. One of my favorite is, always begotten. Christ Jesus is the always begotten son. This is where we get the idea of eternally begotten. He's been begotten before all worlds. Now, this begotten is actually also early in our term, and again, it's just said born, but it's the same word begotten. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who belongs, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been begotten of God. 1 John 5, 1, we have been begotten of God also. This is, this is actually the term found in verse 13. Who were born, that's the term begotten again. This is the act of a father. You were begotten again. Begotten by a father. Now, how does this deal with us? Well, with us, we call this regeneration. We are begotten again. Our fathers, our earthly fathers, begat us. They brought us forth in a human way. And then, John 3, God promises we will be begotten from above. Jesus promises that in in the reporting of John chapter 3. Jesus says, you must be born from above. There's another word play there. The word can mean again or from above. It's not the normal word for again. When he says be born again, it's not the normal term for it. It's from above. That's what Jesus talked about. Through the Spirit. That's, that's really the reference here. You must be born from above. You must be got, begotten again from above through the Holy Spirit. Now, when we're talking about Christ Jesus, we're not talking about someone who's begotten in time. The main reason why John calls the Son who became flesh the only begotten Son of God is to tell you that He is God from God, light from light, very God of very God, not a creature. In the same way that you share in the nature of your parents, particularly your father in this case, when we talk about begotten, you have a human nature derived from your father. And your mother, of course, but we're just talking about begotten. Just your father in this case. Likewise, Christ has a divine nature derived from his father. The father has always been the father. He did not bring forth his son in time. 
He is eternally begotten. Because He's always been the Father. When you call upon God as Father, He's always identified Himself as Father because He has an eternal Son begotten of Him, sired by Him eternally. And, of course, we're talking about something similar to us. We'll return to that. Christ was not begotten in the same way that we are, but it's similar to us so that we can understand it, particularly the fact that we share in the nature of our Father, Christ shares in the nature of His Father, the Son of God incarnate. He is begotten of the Father before all worlds. He derived His human nature from Mary, but His divine nature as the Word, the Son of God, comes from His Father. And this is the importance of verses 9 and 10. I'll ask you to turn there now. John 1, 9 through 10. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is the Lord Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were begotten not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of a husband, but of God. So I read the 9 and 10 and the middle part. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. The world was made through the Son of God. He is the Creator God. He's not a creature. Because all things were created through Him. He is the Creator through whom the Father created all things. This is what John has told you so that in verse 14 you're now prepared to understand what that means. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see in Christ Jesus the glory of a divine person equal with His Father in power and glory. Of the same nature as His Father. The Son of God is God come in the flesh. That is what John just told you. And we beheld His glory. This glory that He shines, like, for example, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and you see in the, in the uh, transformation of His resurrection. But when He comes into the world, you're seeing a glory that's hidden, but it's a glory of grace. You're seeing, you're seeing grace incarnate. You're seeing the love of God incarnate. God proving His love to us in that He sent His only begotten Son to be born of of a woman, to be made flesh, to be made like us in every way. This is who became flesh. The only begotten Son of God. Begotten before all creation from forever. There was no time when the Son was not begotten, and when He was not Son, when He did not exist. He has always existed. 
He's always been the Son of God. He has always been begotten. It is an eternal reality of Him. And that is His relation to His Father. Now, how important is this? John actually looks at this from one angle, which we are going to look at from another angle. He's looking at it from the angle of the incarnation of who it is who came into the world. First John chapter four, verses one through three. First John four, one through three. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. The Son of God, God of God, light of light, became flesh and dwelt among us. You have to confess that to be a Christian. You have to confess who it was who became flesh, the only begotten Son of God. So, in conclusion, the Nicene Creed makes very clear what they mean by the only begotten Son of God. Very God of very God. Light from light. God, very God of very God. Not made. He is not a creature. You were made. You are a creature so that you might be begotten again. You were actually created to enjoy fellowship with God from all eternity through the Son. At the original creation of the human race, we were created to have fellowship with God. And Paul says in Colossians 1 and Romans 11 that all things were created for the Son. They were created for Him, that He might enjoy you forever, made in the image of God. He is the image of God as His only begotten Son, and He made you to bear the image of God as people begotten of the Father through the Holy Spirit. You look around this room. Everybody in this room is important. Everybody in this room has been created in the image of God. You've been created to mirror as creatures the only begotten Son of God. This is who you are. This is a human dignity that no one can take away from you. This is why we value human life above animal life. You are not some animal randomly evolved. You have been created by God to image the Son and that He might have fellowship with you. Your being born anew from above is not some passing whim that just entered God's mind. Oh, I think I'll do that. Let's see how that works. That's not what happened. You were created with that in mind. You were you were always in his mind that he would have you in his family and bring you forth into glory 
Glory is of the only begotten. You were made that you might be begotten again and remade in the image of the Son of God. Ephesians chapter 4. From glory into eternal glory. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The grace of God embodied John bore witness to him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, glory upon glory. This is the Son of God's mission, why he became flesh, that he would have you in his family. He would remake you to be begotten of His Father through His own work. And brothers and sisters, that's what He accomplished. He accomplished bringing you into eternal life by sacrificing Himself that you might be born again through the Holy Spirit, purified, remade, renewed in the image of the Son of God. And you now are sons and daughters and a new family through the work of God. Praise the Lord. This is, this is how important it is to confess these things. Only the Son of God incarnate could accomplish this. He could bridge the gap between God and humans because He's the God-man. He is our mediator. He is the bridge who brought us into the fellowship with the Father. Grace and truth embodied. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is the difficult passage. It, it's kind of typical. There are passages that look really easy that are more profound than we can even express. Help us, O Lord, to confess this Christ, this only begotten Son of Yours, It's a mystery we cannot penetrate, but we can confess it. We can confess it joyfully. I pray that my brothers and sisters, no matter how old or young they may be, may rejoice in the truth that the Son of God incarnate came for us. God from God, light from light, the only begotten of the Father, came and became flesh for us that we may have life everlasting and be transformed from glory into glory. Help us to grow in our appreciation of this truth and in the truth of it. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.